Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur or you are already in the business, Michael Politz has written a must-read, The Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books A Million, or wherever fine books are sold. Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm Jennifer English, and I am thrilled to welcome you today to a conversation about one of my all-time favorite foods. I want to make sure that you are sitting down and ready as we begin a conversation with one of the fundamental food groups. Join me as we go to Idaho and the land of potatoes. Now, I grew up in New England, okay, and I know from a potato or two. I used to spend summers there, and then I spent time on Long Island, and there are places around the country and around the world where they have great potatoes, but I'm going to make an argument today that the greatest potatoes in the world are found right here in North America, and they're produced by our friends at the Chipper Beck Potato Company Enterprises. I want to make sure that you understand that not all potatoes are created equal, and among the many things we ask our potatoes to do. And as a foodie, I consider them one of the essential food groups. And we can have all the debate we want about what potatoes represent to a lot of people. But I'm going to say this. Think of the greatest French fry you've ever had. Is there a more perfect food? I will debate you and say, probably not. A great French fry is a thing of beauty. It's also the X Prize in the upcoming delivery wars. 60% of the food that we have delivered to our homes over the next decade is going to be food that we, our, our consumption is trending towards delivery. 60% of all the things that we eat will be delivered to our homes. When, how, and where are we going to be getting the perfect French fry delivered, even in room service, it presents challenges. But don't blame the potato. Let's start with the perfect potato and it's gonna give you the best shot to win the Food Delivery X Prize. Joining me now are my friends. And I have to tell you, I'm gonna gush a little bit because if you go to Chipper Beck Potatoes, 
website and you watch the videos that they have of where these beautiful potatoes are grown. And the people that are growing these potatoes, I've met many times. We've had the Idaho Potato Commissioners on my radio shows over the last 25 years. And I'm thrilled that once again, we are going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite foods, the French fry. And in a close second place, the potato chip. I love this topic. Joining us now, I'm very happy to say, are our friends from Chipper Beck, potatoes matt and dominic are you here with us are you there yes. guys? we're here yes, we are all right so i'm sorry i had to get my teen beat magazine of food out i had to like fangirl gush about how much i love french fries but i have to tell you it's it's truly one of my all-time favorite things and you guys are responsible for the best frying and chipping potatoes in the entire world and I want to talk about what that means and why that's important and why your category is booming right now and why people need to understand you don't just treat potatoes like the commodities they used to be. You now have a way to look for the best, especially if you're a chef. There's some things you want to know and need to know. And we are going to do Potato 101 today with the best in the business, the oh, master, man. the Dumbledore of potatoes. <laughs> Matt Hornbuckle, how are you? Good. Thanks Thanks for having me on. Okay, so you don't have the big pointy hat and the long white beard in the row, but you are the Dumbledore yes. of great potatoes. Because, in fact, this is a legacy category that, that humans and potatoes have a very long history. And it's kind of funny to me because, in a way, these beauties that grow under the ground, they don't, they don't grow on a tree and call to you. How did we discover these great potatoes and how did you and your industry become the masters of one of our most essential foods? Well, we started growing these potatoes uh, quite a long time ago, uh, quite a while ago uh, for potato chip plants. And uh, just recently over the last uh, 30, 40 years, um, they, they also, um, are really great for making fresh cut french fries uh and frozen fries um they have really low sugars um really high starch really dense potato that make really good french fries can you talk a little bit about why those three things matter why those are the um, triple crown of potato characteristics that we should all be aware make a big difference in the resulting uh, crispy, tasty French fry. It, it's all about consistency, uh, quality consistency. Um, you know, our growing, our harvesting, um, our storage practices are pretty much constant um, in terms of quality. So always presents um, the same quality uh, frying characteristics um, all year. Um, unlike some other potatoes on the market that may be higher in sugars, and so when you get that plate of uh, French fries and they look soggy and burnt, that's because they have more sugar in them than desirably. Uh, so versus our potatoes. So that so makes sense. Let me get that straight because I don't know that I ever thought of potatoes as having uh, a lot of sugar in them. And Dominic Carnazza is here as well. Um, I want to ask the both of you these questions because I think it's fundamentally important. And Dominic, actually, you are in southeastern Idaho at the moment, the place that is 
world famous for potatoes. Um, it's, it's Come on, awesome. Dawn, tell us. What's tell that? Us. Well, I am in that uh, in the gem state and the famous Idaho potato state. However, uh, ironically, uh, I'm here because of uh, some previous experience, but ironically, our potatoes aren't actually grown in Idaho. Our potatoes are grown in Washington, Colorado, and uh, where our flagship operation is in California. So can you help another... me understand? Help me understand when we talk about wine and grapes, we talk about terroir. Can you talk about the terroir for potatoes and the characteristics that we just mentioned, the low sugar, the high starch? Is there a relationship between where a potato is grown and those outstanding characteristics? A hundred percent, yes. In fact, uh, we've done, and Matt can attest to this as well, as we've done years and years of research and development and testing, and we found these areas that our potatoes grow ideally. So the, the uh, soils, uh, the climate, and the growing conditions, overall growing conditions are ideal for our potatoes. And what it does, and, and Matt touched on it as well, is it, what it does is helps us with that consistency in the sugar, the moisture, and the solidity levels in the potato. So it's a they're directly correlated, absolutely 100%. It must be very interesting to be in a business where you rely on the execution of your customers to make your product be the star. You give businesses and chefs, restaurateurs, you give them the world's greatest potato for frying and chipping. And then you have to hope that they know what they're doing on their end. But you give them a product that gives them a higher likelihood of it turning out perfectly. And I want to talk a little bit about how chefs are evolving in their fry. Because today, the prize is a dry fry. You want to get a really crispy product. You want to have all these positive outcomes. And it's as if we've become masters at French fry. And we've certainly become very, very good at potato chips as well. In fact, we just had potato chips on a month ago for Passover with our good friends at Manischewitz, uh, who, who make arguably one of the great potato chips in the world. Can we talk about why we've gotten so good at it and what you can tell us about the collaboration you have with chefs and how that's an important piece of the putting a great fry in my hand? Absolutely. Journey. In fact, um, in fact, that's a great point because <clears throat> that's where it starts the decision-making comes from the chef and from the kitchen. And, and you said it exactly right is we give them the product and we give them the ability to make those, you know, those uh, world famous French fries. However, we do have to do a lot of education. And one of the things that we pride ourselves in is, you know, that boots on the ground type of service. We have actually, we spent um, years and years in the backs of kitchens with chefs and restaurant managers and and staff you know line staff and educating them on exactly the best ways to prepare these french fries and to prepare them from our potatoes specifically 
Um, Matt, I want to ask you both um, today on the emergence from COVID, restaurateurs are reinventing the future of food in collaboration with Chipperbeck. Can you talk a little bit about how your collaboration with chefs is designing what the future of food is going to look like and, and what you can share with us without giving away too much? No, I mean, <clears throat> we have quite a bit of a uh, big network of uh, chefs, direct restaurant groups that we work with. Um, and, and we always welcome and enjoy their feedback. We spend time with them. We go to dinner. Um, we've developed direct relationships with these, with these folks and yeah, uh, their, their feedback helps, helps us grow in a way to navigate to where, um, you know, where the food is going, um, in terms of fries and, and, uh, one of the, a lot of the feedback several years ago was, uh, you know, the issues with labor. And the amount of labor that has to go into these fries and the lack of labor and the the cost of labor. So with with all these all this feedback that we received from the chefs, we created a frozen uh, product off of our fresh cut, the whole potato. Um, so we can offer the same quality in an added value product uh, because we see the space growing exponentially as our population grows and, and, um, the food, the food security, um, being able to, to, you know, feed the world is, is, you know, shrinking with a lot of this land available land shrinking. So yeah, we have to get creative and, uh, come up and reinvent new ideas parallel to what the chefs are, are, are needing or are going to want to need moving uh, forward. Can you talk a little bit more, about where you see the trends going uh, that are driving this, in addition to the external economic factors in the ecosystem of, you know, obviously diminishing resources on one level. But I think people are being more attentive about and, and appreciative of their food choices. I think in the future, and, and we say this all the time, I maintain personally that, that food 3.0 is gonna have at its core, this idea of customization. Each and every one of us is going to get to customize every dimension. I call it season to taste. Season to taste in everything that we encounter. I want it this way and not that way. Can you make it hot? You know, whatever it is. That idea of self-awareness driving our asks and orders. Can you talk a little bit about your sense of as we get into that mode, how important it is that you're paying attention to not only your immediate customer, the chef and restaurateur, but their customer who's going to be asking for something more and different and better in the years to come. That's got to be a part of what you guys are looking at. How are you weaving that into the Chipperbeck story? That's actually uh, that's actually a great question. Um, one of the things we're really focusing focusing on is innovation, and whether it be in recipe concepts or uh, you know chef partnerships, restaurant partnerships, and developing different ways to make French fries. You know, not just your traditional. And you mentioned it. Uh, you know, season to taste. 
that's the beauty of our product is that realistically you can add anything to it but you can still come back to tasting the you know that mashed potato you know that french fry that natural potato flavor in our in our product so again going back to what you said it's it's all about innovating and that's one of the things about our self-awareness is that we thought well let's let's do a little innovating let's change the game a little bit and matt uh, mentioned it too is our uh, our frozen french fries you know there's a there's a lot of people in the space but there's not a lot of people that are specializing in a you know simple ingredient deck product that's a very all natural and that natural potato flavor so again going back to your point is that and your question is that we're innovating with chefs and restaurants and in recipe concepts and different ways to prepare you know your standard french fry can i tell you we talk to a lot of food people obviously we're food and beverage magazine but it's so funny to me because there are so few things in the world of food and beverage that everybody loves everybody loves potatoes in whatever form i'm going to argue that the chips and the fries are the best but everybody loves potatoes you have an absolutely and utterly beloved product can you talk a little bit about how that informs the conversation that you have with people both internally as you do your marketing planning but then as you go out and talk to chefs how important is that shared love of this quintessential food yeah i i always feel and i know dom feels the same way as you know the chef the you know the grower and the end user the chef really have kind of a similar relationship i mean we're 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 trying to grow and ship and provide the best possible potato for the chef and the chef is seeking out the best potato to make the best fries to be you know successful in his business um so it's a it's a really cool relationship and we found that over the last you know two or three years especially um you know during covid yeah uh we've had developed you know a network of chefs that are available uh because they had time off or what have you so um yeah it's been it's been really fun creating those relationships and how that manifests out in the field out in the restaurant world in our edible ecosystem is that chefs find a way to make the fry their own. They take something that is practically ubiquitous and they yeah. do a little something to make it really distinctive so that when you're in my house, you come back craving those fries. They, yeah, they all cre they all create their own equation for their best fry. And that's really been cool for Dom and I to see because we've, we've been and done a lot of cuttings with different chefs across the nation. And every one of them has one little tiny tweak that makes it their own. And it's been really cool to see that <clears throat> and share it. They, they, they want to share their, you know, their success with, with other chefs. Um, and that, that's another thing too, is that, uh, you know, you can sit down with a chef in the, in the, in the back of a kitchen or in his restaurant. And we did a lot of that when restaurants weren't open as much as, you know, they cooked us their fries or their version of the fry and we sat down with them and we had a, uh, a really great conversation over a bowl of french fries yeah. and there were no french fries left 
That's the beauty of it. And, and so, you guys are French fry guys. Oh, you eat fries all the yeah. time. You're like, yeah, no, I'm just that one is enough. I can taste it, and that tells me your story. Yeah, absolutely. So for us, me. yeah, for us, sorry, it's a it's a social comfort food, right? So you can sit with a chef, you can sit with a restaurant owner, or you can sit with the richest man in the world, and you can enjoy a plate of French fries. What's really exciting about that is your product, the Chipperbeck potatoes, actually give rise to my all well one of my two all-time favorite food words besides frying i mean that's <laughs> the word hospitality is right. the name of the industry we're in it's an industry of service we're in service to our to our industry to our guests to our customers to one another it's so critically important to be in service but you guys give us something that allows for the manifestation of the word irresistible. Few things in the world are more irresistible than a perfect French fry, maybe a bowl of perfect French fries. Can you talk a little bit about that idea of quintessential, irresistible potato success in the form of a French fry? Well, for us, we've always thought of our product as, you know, the best product, but it's not only that, but it's proven itself. It's proven itself as the, as, as an irresistible product. It, it, in fact, one of the questions that we ask people when they taste our, our French fries from our potatoes or our frozen fries is what's the first thing that you taste, right? Potato. So, it becoming, and, and then potatoes are a staple food. So it becoming an irresistible quintessential food item um, is something that realistically that we built into our program over the years. The idea in Latin is res ipsa locudor, the thing speaks for itself. A perfect French fry does in fact, I believe, speak for itself. It does. Can you can you riff on that? Because frankly, I just want to talk about how great they are when they're perfect. <laughs> I know. You know when they're you know when they're perfect, Jennifer. When you fry them in uh, tallow or beef fat, <laughs> we found we found that's when they're really good. Um, no, but aside aside from that, um, they are, and and you're not joking when you say that. And I've had French fries done in duck fat. Oh. I mean, they're not, they're not bad. Um, where did you, where do you have them in duck fat? Not too many people use that. I'm going to think of the two restaurants names in a minute, but the flavor of it, the crispiness oh. of it is what lingers, not yeah. the where, the what, the what That's lingered the for me. Yeah. Uh, and it was an incredible taste, but it, it was as if you put the fried potato on the most beautiful platter. Everybody's gonna put them on a plate or platter, right? But like the best one ever, I, I don't remember who was holding the platter. And I'm sorry that it doesn't come instantly to mind. What comes to mind is how delicious that was. Although unrelated, I will say one of my favorite presentations of French fries was done by, uh, there are two chefs, Chef Thomas Keller um, at his Bouchon when Bouchon, um, first opened and I had my first experience with, with a Bouchon fry. That was, that was really kind of special. 
but that's again in that traditional French brasserie tradition. It was really exquisite. But I also know that they're so universally uh, beloved that sometimes you can just sit down with someone and share some fries. And the act of sharing fries is something that I would love to have more people do. You know, because right. you're kind of eating and you're kind of connecting and you're sharing. And that act is so underappreciated because there are so few things in the world we can do that with. Someone that you love or someone that loves you reaches over and takes a fry off your plate. That's practically like blowing them a kiss or winking at them. Somebody at a business lunch that does that, that makes you, you know, you might be put aback, but you're like, you're okay if you like me enough to reach and have one of my fries because these are good fries the ones i ordered are good and you didn't get them i that tells me something about who you are can you talk about the language of potatoes and fries and how those kinds of moments that i just described are sort of the the ecosystem that your product exists in yeah, I yeah, absolutely. In fact, in fact, I touched on it earlier is that uh, they truly are a social comfort food. So you can sit and enjoy them. But not only that is... If that, the fries are good, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're good. You're right about that. And the beauty of that with our product is that not only do you have that crispy exterior and that natural potato flavor, but when you break it open, there's there's all that naturally good mashed potato flavor inside so again <laughs> i was gonna say this earlier but you know when I, I usually finish my fries first so that they don't get cold yeah and if and if somebody else at where i'm at is not eating their fries i there's it goes back to that commercial it's like hey are you gonna eat that yeah don't, <laughs> so don't mind if i do don't mind if i do can i have one of yeah. those are you gonna eat that <laughs> so, the culture um, of it the culture of it is is rich, but what it also it, speaks to is mindfulness. Some people sure. can eat food and be sort of like mindless about it. And they're just eating and they've got to go to their next thing or they're in their car. Great potatoes that give you great fries. Great fries deserve my attention. Great fries will stop me in my tracks. They will get me to pay attention. And consequently, I will be present and I will be eating more mindfully. Can you talk a little bit about that and how there's something very focusing uh, about having perfect franchise? Because as, as much as we love them, you don't find perfect fries every day, every time you go out. I got to be honest. So yeah. you really pay attention when they're really good and irresistible. Well, since we're in the business... Um, we're, we're a little biased because we know the difference between all of the different fries. But um, even when I'm not working, I, I order a plate of fries and I know I don't like these fries or I really like these fries. And I start to analyze, you know, the, the overall experience of the fries. And, and it, has, it has a lot to do with, you know, how it's prepared, the chef, the ambiance. It's it's. It, for me, it's the whole experience. And I think that the general public have the same, have the same feeling. They want that overall experience. And when you have, when you have some, a, a chef that pays close attention to detail when creating these fries, 
it, it, it comes out, it shows. Um, and when I taste a fry, I, I always ask, I got to talk to the chef. I got to talk to the chef, bring the chef out here. I got, and the, and the waitress or waiter is always like thinking that there's going to be something wrong or, you know, I'm going to give them some negative feedback, but I'm always like, how'd you do this? How did you make, how did you make the fries? Did you double fry it? Did you freeze them and then slack them out? And then I'm always kind of like, like a mad scientist. Uh, and it's fun for me, but I'm in the business, but I think for the general public, I think they feel the same way. They just, they don't know what questions to ask because they're not, they're not in the business. But I know for a fact that, that when they eat that fry, there's not going to be one fry left on the plate. No, I can't, I could say that there's a lot of times where I may eat one or two fries and just kind of push it away because I'm not having the experience um, I could tell there's, there's no creativity behind it. So, um, for me, that's my experience. You can't phone in a perfect fry. No, you can't phone it in. You've got to be, no. you show up. You got to be intentional about it. Right. So thank you for letting me nerd out on the subject of one of my favorite foods. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I know it, it, all of this is extraordinarily sincere. You can probably tell I've had a French fry or two in my life. I love them. And I want to make sure that we inspire the chefs who are our audience and the restaurateurs and the eaters. You said something really interesting. You said they're not in the business, so they might not know the questions to ask. But every single one of us knows what tastes best to us. Right. And we are connoisseurs of what right. tastes best to us. And we have a duty in our journey of self-awareness to discover what tastes best to us. Correct. Can you talk about how to, how to, how to get the perfect French fry and what we should be looking for and what a perfect French fry actually is? Dom, you want? Yeah, you want absolutely. Talk? So, Getting the perfect French fry starts with number one, the potato. It really does. And Preferably chipperback potatoes, right? <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Matt, Matt touched on it earlier, and you know, not only are we laser focused on the consistency in the product, but also the consistency in the performance. Right. So. Not all potatoes, and I can say this with uh, 100% sincerity and truth, is that not all potatoes are the same when it comes to making french fries. And again, it's based on, Matt touched on it, it's experience in, and, and that experience in tasting french fries, but it's also expertise, right? We've uh, as I mentioned earlier, we've been in the back kitchens, we've talked to chefs, we've tasted, we've tested, we've done research and development. But if we don't have, if you don't have the right potato, right. you don't have the right French fry. And the only way to get that perfect French fry is to, to prepare that product the way that we suggest it. And the way that we suggest it is that, uh, it's not only blanched, but it's also cooled and then 
fry it again a second so, time. So I've got a potato. I've got a potato in my kitchen in my hands. Talk me through how that Chipperbeck potato becomes a perfect French fry. Do I peel it? Do I scrub it? Do I leave the skin on? Do I take the skin off? It's a white. It's a white potato, so it's really thin skin. So you can cut it with the skin on. Um, you can you put oil, canola oil, whatever oil you choose, in a pot. You can you you blanch them for about two three minutes. At, cut or uncut. Cut. You cut. You slice them into French fries, whether it be three eighths, half inch. And you want to rent. You want to rinse them before you throw them in the um, oil. You throw them in the oil. You blanch them for about two and a half, three minutes at 375. You you pull them out. You cool them off on a sheet pan. You can put them in a refrigerator to cool them off or freezer. And then when you're ready to fry them again, you pull them out and you put them back in a pot and you fry them for three, three and a half minutes at another 375, 400 degrees. When I wash the potatoes after the blanching, do I dry them before I fry them? Yes. yes. You can tell what I'm making for dinner tonight. I just want yeah. to. Yeah. So you, yeah, you definitely want to rinse. Uh, after you cut them, you want to rinse them so that once you, uh, the finished rinse is clear. And then once the, the finished rinse is clear, then you put them on a sheet and dry them off before you put them in the fryer. Because that's, and that's another important <clears throat> step is, and another important thing about our potatoes is that they're, <clears throat> they're low in moisture. So, what happens with a higher moisture potato when it hits the fryer, all that moisture in the potato or in the French fry will boil out. And in turn, water, uh, excuse me, oil will reabsorb into the French fry. So not only will you have with a high sugar and high moisture potato, not only will you have a dark, almost uh, dark brown black fry, but you have also have a limp fry. So again, Going back to that uh, rinse is that because we do have a dense potato and it is high starch, you just definitely want to rinse all that, uh, make the rinse clear and then dry them so you don't have moisture when it hits a fryer. That, that was my point. Hey guys, sorry about that. Jennifer had a little uh, technical difficulty. Is that, is that a wrap? <laughs> she, well, she's trying to jump back on real quick, so we're still going live. But um, so I want to reiterate where now, Matt. You're down in California, and you said, uh, yep. and then Dominic, you're in Idaho, right? Yeah, I work regionally uh, out of my home office. Okay, go ahead. And we're still live. All right. All right. No problem. So, Dominic, tell me about. <laughs> Go ahead. That's the All way. Right. 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 We'll do. Okay. All right. We'll do. 
All right, so Jennifer was relaying to me. Last, she only had a couple more questions. The first one was, where do chefs go to get more information about your products and how to buy them? Now they can reach out to us direct, uh, or they can get go on our website and we have contact information there. But uh, either directly or through our website, it's the easiest way. Now, can the general public? Are they can they get a hold of them or is it the same thing? They have to go through a restaurant or whatever. Is it only are you guys only basically wholesale, I guess you could say? Yeah, we're mainly B2B. Um not not too much direct to consumer. That that is part yeah. of the uh innovation steps or yeah. part of our new our uh, our new plan innovation plan is to to have a direct to consumer program. And that will be likely with our frozen product delivered to the house. Okay. So where can the chefs go? The website, I would assume, yeah. is where the Web chefs can go to. Website. Um, what, what else do we have? We have Twitter and. Uh, yeah, Instagram, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Facebook. All, all the information, all our contact information is on, on our website. Which it is very user friendly between if you're a distributor or you're a chef, mm -hmm. uh, food service company, whatnot. Um, you know, there, there, there's information geared to each one of those categories. Which we've been rolling the, the website across the bottom there. So everybody should get Thanks. it. Uh, obviously easy, chipperbeck.com. So. Uh, well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. I'm sorry for the uh, <laughs> hold up there, but uh, we did. We are getting a couple of comments coming in uh, nice. from Phoenix. People coming in from Phoenix. And Dominic, you forgot to yeah. mention uh, the one thing that Idaho is really known for is the Appaloosa horse. So, and the Appaloosa horse, Appaloosa, the Appaloosa horse from the Nez Perce oh, okay. Indians, which is there in uh, Boise, Idaho, is where the headquarters is. So. All right, well, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, Tony, thank you, man. Yes, sir. Not a problem. Thanks, Tony. We'll Jennifer, uh, tell Jennifer thank you, and and uh, it was good. It's great. Yeah, what a what a great introduction and uh, time well spent for sure. Tell her thank you very much. Not a problem. Yeah, we uh, she couldn't get back on. They wouldn't let her back on for some reason. <laughs> the joys of live uh, broadcasting, right? Right, exactly. That's how it goes sometimes. All, All right. right. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Same, same time, same place next week. All right. <laughs> Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur or you are already in the business, Michael Politz has written a must read. The Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books A Million, or wherever fine books are sold.